Well, good morning, friends. Grab your Bibles, grab your notepads. It's Tuesday morning, September 7th. This is podcast number 368. Today will be our final look at the introduction into Colossians. I pray that you've been making plenty of notes that you can go back to. Let's look at our two preeminent verses, which are Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. And I pray that you're memorizing these. It says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There was no conflict in the f- fact that um, all the fullness of God dwelled in Christ because he is God. And in chapter 2, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, meaning that he is 100% God and 100% man. Now, we've looked at the city of Colossae, we've looked at the church in Colossae, the crisis, and now we'll finish up with the correspondence. This will be our last um, introductory uh, message, and then we're going to get into Colossians chapter 1 uh, tomorrow. And because of these introduction, introductory lessons, a lot of the scriptures we go over in Colossians 1 and 2 especially will seem very familiar, I hope. So let's go to uh, Wearsby and uh, our last portion of this introduction. I think so thankful for the work of of Wearsby. Um, what a tremendous man, and now he's with Jesus. The correspondence of this letter. With this background, the other background, this, you know, the city and the church and, and the crisis, now we look at the correspondence. With this background, we can now look at Paul's letter to the Colossians and get an overview of what he has written. The emphasis in Colossians is is on Christ. Remember the preeminence of Christ and um, Christ being the head of the body. In this letter, Paul uses the vocabulary of the false teachers, but he does not use their definitions. And this is important because many religions use the same vocabulary as we do. And so we just believe that they are um, in agreement. They use the same terminology, but he he uh, undermines that and, and shows us this. He used... Um, um, the true definitions of these words that they're using, though, not the false teacher's definitions. He used these words in their true Christian meaning. As we study Colossians, you can write these words down. We will find words such as fullness, perfect, complete, all of which were used by the Gnostic heretics. Those were all the same. And there's the danger, right? The words are the same. We want to talk to you about fullness and perfection and completeness. Well, all of those things are found in Christ. We don't need uh, any additional help from outside philosophies. Over 30 times, Paul used the little word all. I joke about it all the time. I looked up all in the Greek, and it means all. He also used uh, a wrote about wisdom, which was a key term in the Gnostic vocabulary. He had a great deal to say about angels and spirit powers as well. And again, his main theme was the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says, And he, who is Christ, is the head of the church, uh, of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent, again, means surpassing all others. And then let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Colossians 3, 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So we see that um, he is preeminent. He is um, surpassing 
everyone else. There's no need for us to worry about angelic mediators or spiritual darkness and emanations. Why? Because he has defeated all of them. Should we know that they're um, they're out there? Absolutely. Should we understand that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and wickedness in high places? Yes. But how do we win the battle? In Christ, in and through Christ. God has sent his son to die for us. John three sixteen, right? Romans eight thirty two. he spared not his only son. Every person who believes on Jesus Christ is saved and is part of the body, the church, of which he is the head. We read that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He is the head. We are united to Christ in a wonderful, ongoing, living relationship. A wonderful, ongoing, living relationship. We are not united with a historical figure. We are not united with a dead Savior. We're united with a a living Christ who rose from the dead on the third day and is alive and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he, the Bible says in Hebrews 7.25, is ever living to make intercession for us. Intercession means that he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He is standing between the Father and the enemy who's the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says, and he makes intercession for us. Furthermore, nothing needs to be added to this relationship. Why? Because each believer is complete in him. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. Now, we're complete in him and we're complete because of him. Let's understand that. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We've been filled with Christ. Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life because Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin and for mine. All of God's fullness dwells in Christ, and because of that, we share in that fullness. Why? Because Christ dwells in us. For in Christ, the Bible says, let's look at this, verses 9 and 10. For in him, this is chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all and authority. He said it twice there. He wants you to understand that because all of the fullness of the deity of God um, was in Christ, because he is God, and because now we're united with Christ because we've accepted the sacrifice of his sinful, uh, of his death for our sin and the resurrection, and now we are in Christ, then therefore the fullness dwells within us. It doesn't make us God. It makes us joint heirs with God through Christ. I hope that's understandable. I hope that made that understandable, that the fullness of God dwells within us. Everything we need, the Bible says, for, for to live a godly life is in Christ. It's provided. He will not provide anything extra. Everything is available to us so that we know that we can count on him for everything. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus. We rely on Christ. But it is sad to say that there are many Christians who actually believe that some person, religious system or discipline, can add something to their spiritual experience. But they already have everything they ever will need in the person work of Jesus Christ. And this I see and I have seen on multiple occasions where the pastor unwillingly, unwittingly, I hope, will take the, pray, uh, the place of the mediator, Christ Jesus, and he becomes the mediator for the sins of people. No, no, no. Jesus is the once and for all mediator, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. He is it. 
No pastor can do that for you because pastors are sinless and we are flawed and we are broken and we make mistakes and we have to deal with our own sin. Jesus didn't have to. The Bible says that he was sinless. And so we come to Christ. Do we need pastors? Absolutely. And teachers? Yes. But pastors and teachers can never take the place of Christ in our lives. Paul did not begin this uh, Colossians by attacking the false teachers and their doctrines. He began by exalting Jesus Christ and showing his preeminence in five areas. Write these down, the five areas. He's preeminent in the gospel message, redemption, creation, the church, and in Paul's own ministry. So Christ is pre- preeminent in the gospel message. Paul said, if, you, if anybody comes and preaches any other message than the message of Christ Jesus, let him be accursed, right? Even if it's an angel. In redemption, Jesus Christ paid the price to redeem us. He paid the price to his Father with his blood and with his sacrifice to redeem us. He is first and foremost in creation. Uh, John chapter 1, let's look there. John chapter 1. Not just talk about it, let's let the scripture talk about it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, um, or through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Who made all things? Christ. Nothing that was made. Um, nothing was made that he didn't make. And we need to understand that. So he is he is um, preeminent in all of uh, those, those areas, which is incredibly important for us to understand that he's not just the God who died for our sins, but he's the God who takes care of all of these other areas. He is our God of redemption, creation, the church. And, and Paul says in my own ministry, my ministry is not my own. He is preeminent and, and drives what, what happens. The people to whom Paul was uh, to whom Paul was writing had become Christians because of the gospel message brought to them by Epaphras. In this, if this message was wrong, then they were all wrong. Nobody was saved because the what Epaphras' message was Paul's message. Paul placed it into Epaphras. Epaphras gave it to the church in Colossae. If this message was wrong, then no one is saved at all. But Paul trusted Epaphras. Once he had established the preeminence of Christ, then Paul began to attack the heretics on their ground, on their own ground, in Colossians chapter 2. Paul exposed the false uh, origin of their teachings and showed how their teachings contradicted everything Paul had taught about Jesus Christ. Everything Paul taught was about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He didn't talk about his own self. He didn't talk about his own power. He talked about that his ministry was uh, submitted to the ministry of the Lord. The believer who masters this chapter is not likely to be led astray by some alluring and enticing and new and improved brand of Christianity, and they're out there all over the place. Please, please be careful of the books you purchase. Please be careful of the things that people say, oh, this is so good. And what happens is it begins to lead you astray, begins to, to, to do that. So what does he say? It's study Colossians chapter 2. If you study Colossians 2 and begin to really take it in depth and begin to, to, to do your own homework, you're going to find out that because of Colossians chapter 2, not just only Colossians 2, but in Colossians chapter 2, it's going to strengthen you and you're not going to be easily led astray.
Paul did not think this task uh, was completed when he had refuted the heretics in chapter 2, for he still made some important words for the church. In Colossians 3 and 4, Paul explained the great antidote to false teaching. And what is it? It's a godly life. Live a godly life. Those who say, I don't care what you believe, just so long as you have uh, live a good life, are not thinking logically. Um, what we believe determines how we behave. So good teaching, good doctrine creates godly living when we apply it to our lives. And what we believe then determines how we behave. To say it, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you live, uh, live it or as long as you believe it is ridiculous. There are people who believe in things that are horrible and terrible and sinful. And they believe it completely. Does that make it true? No. No, not at all. If we believe that matter is evil, we will use our bodies uh, in one way. But if we believe that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, we will live accordingly. When we begin to understand that we're brand new creations in Christ, that he takes up residence within us, it should change the way we live. Why? Because Christ now lives within us. He's within us. Wrong doctrine always leads to wrong living. Understand this. Wrong doctrine always lives or leads to wrong living. Right doctrine should lead to right living. In the two concluding chapters, the last two chapters of, of uh, Colossians, Paul applied the preeminence of Christ to the daily affairs of our life. And it should be. It's not just our eternal uh, relationship with Christ. It's our uh, temporary uh, relationship with one another. Right doctrine, right living in all areas. Paul applied the, the preeminence to those areas. If Christ is truly preeminent in our lives, meaning surpassing everything else, then we will glorify him by keeping pure, by enjoying fellowship with other saints, by loving each other at home and being faithful to work, and by seeking to witness for Christ and serve him effectively. Write this down. Unless doctrine leads to duty, it is of no use to us. Unless doctrine leads to duty, it is of no use to us. What does that mean? We need to walk it out. We don't need to just talk about it. We don't need to just be able to quote scripture. We need to live scripture. It needs to take an effect in our lives and it needs to, to lead to proper understanding and proper living. Many Bible scholars have concluded that Colossians is the most profound letter that, that Paul wrote, meaning it's deep and it's profound. But this must not keep us from reading and studying this wonderful letter. We must be cautioned against the superficial approach to these chapters. Unless we depend on the Spirit of God to teach us, we will miss the truths God wants us to learn. When you begin a study, ask God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal it to you. Ask God to reveal to you what's being taught and it has to line up with the scripture. The church today, and I've been preaching this for a long time, and I've given my life for the church for many, many years. I, uh, I pastor uh, for many, many years. The church today desperately needs the message of Colossians. We live in a day when religious toleration is interpreted to mean one religion is just as good as another. We need to be tolerant of all the religions. We say, no, no, no. We need to hold truth. I've told this story many times. I was at work one day years ago and my boss was having a conversation. He was being loud and he says, he just blurts it out. There's no absolute truth. And I just said, are you absolutely sure? And I went back to exercising and little by little, there became this ripple of laughter as he realized 
that his statement was an absolute, therefore he had defeated his own argument. Of course there's absolute truth. Of course there's absolute truth. So the church today needs to hold to its its uh, ground. Uh, Jude says to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to us. Some people try to take the best from various religious systems and manufacture their own profit. Uh, uh, private religion, and that's happening all the time. To many people, Jesus Christ is only one of several great religious teachers with no more authority than they. He may be prominent, but he's definitely not preeminent. John chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 6, I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. No man comes to the Father except by me. In this age of a syncretism, meaning to try to synchronize everything and everything is, you know, fits together, people are trying to harmonize and unite many different schools of thought and come up with a superior religion. Our evangelical churches are in danger of diluting the faith in their loving attempt to understand the beliefs of others. They're misguided, but they, they, they try to do it out of love. They, they try to add mysticism and legalism and Eastern religions and asceticism and man-made philosophies, and they're creeping into the church. They are not denying Christ, but they are dethroning him. Write that down. They are not denying Christ, but they are dethroning him. And they're robbing him of his rightful place of preeminence. As we study this letter... This exciting letter, we must heed Paul's warnings. And let's look at these three warnings. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Don't be beguiled. Don't be deluded. Don't, don't, uh, uh, don't let something that sounds good begin to tear you away from your faith. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't be pulled away. Don't let that happen. And then in verse 16, verse 16 of chapter 2, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink of with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. Don't let anyone judge you for standing for the truth because you need to stand upon the truth of Jesus Christ. I need to stand upon it because the Bible says there is but one mediator between God and man. Christ is his name. Christ is his name. There's one mediator. People say, well, you're so intolerant. No, it is God's uh, teaching. It is God's word that will bring about what's needed in this world. There is but one mediator. I say it before, uh, again and I'll say it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you're on an airplane and it's going down and the flight attendant says there's but one door to safety, would you take the door? Would you trust the flight attendant? Or would you say, oh, no, 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 you're intolerant. There must be another way. I'm going to go to the door. There is but one way, church, and it's through Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. Let me pray for us. In Numbers chapter 6, 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. 
and give you peace. God bless you. Till we talk again.